Bienvenidos and welcome to the Voces Podcast. My name is Ana Lucia Lopez Reboredo, and I am your host. Today's guest is Mackenzie Martinez. Mackenzie Martinez is a proud Jexican, a Jewish Mexican, and alumna of Elon University in North Carolina. While at Elon, Mackenzie wrote her undergraduate thesis, Rituals of Womanhood, and explored the connections, differences, and cultural implications of bat mitzvahs and quinceañeras. After graduating with her degree in anthropology and Spanish, Mackenzie moved to San Diego to serve as a fellow for Avodah, the Jewish Service Corps. While at Avodah, Mackenzie began working with Al Otro Lado, an organization that provides holistic legal and humanitarian support to refugees, deportees, and other migrants at the U.S.-Mexico border through a multidisciplinary, client-centered, harm reduction-based practice. Through this experience, Mackenzie realized her passion for supporting immigrants. Today, she works with the International Rescue Committee, the IRC, to support asylees and survivors of trafficking. When not at work, Mackenzie enjoys spending time at the beach, reading, knitting, and practicing Mexican folk dance. Bienvenida, Mackenzie. It's wonderful to have you. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yay, we finally did it. We made this happen. I am so happy. And I just read a bio that introduces what it was that you did in school, what you do today. But I'd like to take a step back and ask you to reintroduce yourself and add any more details you think are vital to your story. So yes, my name is Mackenzie Martinez. I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, one of the least Latino places that I've ever been. And I'm from a family that's interracial and also multi-faith. So my father grew up kind of vaguely Christian and Mexican, whereas my mom grew up kind of white American Jewish. So I don't meet a lot of other like Latina Jews, which is why I've been so fortunate to find Jutina. And so we always joked when I was growing up <clears throat> that our family had like our own identity moniker. We called ourselves Jexicans with a tree. So we were Jewish Mexicans, but we celebrated Christmas. So that's kind of become our family tagline. That's how we've kind of built our own family culture and our own family like rituals throughout the years, kind of combining parts of both Jewish culture and American culture and also Mexican culture. So I grew up in Virginia, moved around a little bit when I was younger, and ended up attending a university in Elon, North Carolina, ironically one of the most Latino spaces that I was ever in. I had the fortunate opportunities to be really involved in our Latino student organizations there. And then I recently graduated and moved to San Diego with the Avodah Jewish Fellowship Program to pursue a career in immigration. So I just recently finished my first year of work with the wonderful organization Al Otro Lado. And here I am kind of looking at my next steps and seeing where life is going to take me. Awesome. Let's talk about your project, Rituals of Womanhood. In this project, you explored the connections, differences, and cultural implications of bat mitzvahs and quinceañeras. And as I mentioned in your bio, this was largely this largely piqued your interest because of your own experience of being both Jewish and Mexican. But I'd love for you to share a little bit more. What were other reasons that inspired you in making this theme what you were going to explore for your undergraduate thesis? And also, what was it that you did to learn about these stories and what were the similarities and differences of these two coming-of-age ceremonies? 
Yeah, no, really great question. I love, I, I haven't read my whole paper in a hot minute. So this is really fun to get to, to talk about it again, because this was, so it's really exciting to get to revisit it with new eyes and new experiences. So I was in a, a fellowship program in college that essentially I got a scholarship and the, the trade-off was that I would publish a thesis by the end. Um, and it was kind of open book, do what you want. It can be a play. It can be an essay. It can be um, a podcast. Like it was really, really open-ended. And I, you know, spent like the first year of college kind of getting my feet under me, exploring the different disciplines, exploring the different departments, getting to know professors and like really thinking about, you know, I get to create this kind of one of a kind study. I get to contribute something to the world of academia, whatever, like, what do I want that to be? Like, what do I want that story to be? What do I want that message to be? And I think I was reading, I think it's called Woman Who Runs With Wolves. I don't remember who the author is, but it's like a super, it was gifted to me by a professor who was like, I think you would love this book. And it's just a collection of different myths and um, stories about womanhood, about being a woman, about transition from so many different cultures. And I think it was reading that, that I was like, I could do something like this. Like this would be a really neat way to kind of share part of my story and part of my history. I was an anthropology and Spanish student. So I wanted to kind of combine that somehow. So I sat down with my mentor in the anthropology department and we were talking about like, you know, what do you want this thesis to be? And I like had a couple different ideas and this was one of them, you know, kind of exploring like these roots of my identity, kind of being Jewish and also being Latina and like having a coming of age ceremony. And immediately I pitched that idea and my professor was like, that's it. Hearing it, it's something that's never been done. And also hearing you talk about it, it's something that you seem so passionate and so excited about that like, this is absolutely the story that we have to tell. So the anecdote that I start the paper with is that I remember fairly clearly, as clearly as you can, calling an event from a decade ago, I was sitting in the kitchen with my mom and my sister, my younger sister, and we were talking about birthday parties. And, you know, one of us brought up the fact that like, you know, I was maybe 10, my sister was like eight, and we were kind of creeping closer to the the big markers, the big birthday markers. We were Jewish, so it would be like 11 or 12 for a bat mitzvah. We were Mexican, so it would be like 15 for a quince. And we were American, so it would be 16 for a sweet 16. And my sister, who's always been a little bit more of the like push the envelope, was like, oh, great, three parties. And my mom was like, no, 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 I'm paying for one. You have to pick. And so I really don't remember why I picked what I did. It probably had to do with, you know, at that time in my life, I had a much stronger connection to my Jewish identity and my Jewish community. And we really didn't have any connection to our Mexican heritage or our Mexican family. So for me, picking a bat mitzvah was like, oh, this makes sense. This is the culture that's really a big part of my life right now. This is the culture that I want to kind of transition me into womanhood. Obviously, you know, when I'm 10, I wasn't thinking in these terms, but that's kind of where it landed. So I had a bat mitzvah. And then two years later, my sister also had her bat mitzvah. So as I kind of picked this project, I thought a lot about that anecdote that had come to me. And I was like, you know, why did we do that? Like, kind of where this whole project started of thinking about, you know, why did I make this decision? And why do other people make this decision? Fascinating. Fascinating. I, I am so moved by your work. And I think people that are listening will also be, especially those that are coming from communities where both quinces and bat mitzvahs or bar mitzvahs are 
you know, big coming of age events. And so I'm curious to know in the research, your findings, what did you learn? What was the most striking piece of interviewing these young women who were either having bat mitzvahs or quinceañeras? Yeah, it was super interesting because, you know, as much as I, I identify with both communities, the Jewish and the Latinx, it's so wonderful to, to learn from other people, like, you know, what their experience is and what their community is like, because also every community is really different. So from the quinceañeras, I learned a lot about what it means to come of age socially, because there was a really big, there was a really big emphasis on the party. So both ceremonies have kind of this dual purpose. And it was really interesting to see kind of the divide between the Jewish and the Latina ceremonies of that the social aspect of coming of age was a lot more prominent for the quinceañeras because the girls themselves were like planning the whole party themselves. They were getting the guest list out. They were organizing the venue and the music and the food and like taking a lot of that responsibility of like coordinating the social event. And then at the actual party, you have a lot of different kind of ceremonial markers of transitioning to womanhood. And it differs for every family and, you know, every country as well. But a lot of the girls that I interviewed talked about, you know, they had their last doll ceremony where their parents gifted them a doll that was kind of symbolizing the end of their childhood. They had the changing of the shoe where they would take off their flats and wear high heels. They would have their dance with their chamberlanes, which was like kind of coming into yourself romantically and autonomy in that way. A lot of the girls also talked about how, you know, after their quinceanera, they shifted a lot in the social responsibility they were given. Parents put a lot more trust in them and a lot more responsibility on them to take care of their younger siblings or make a run to the grocery store. They were allowed to start wearing makeup and going out a little bit later. So it really marked gaining a lot of new responsibility and privileges socially. And then in comparison, the Jewish girls that I worked with was also a really interesting learning curve because I grew up, I grew up in a Chabad. And so when I had my bat mitzvah, I didn't read from the Torah. And I also really didn't like Hebrew school. So I didn't really learn to read the Torah. But beside the point, that wasn't a part of my ceremony. But the synagogue that I worked with where all of these girls attended was a reform synagogue and all of them got called up to the Torah. They had been in Hebrew school, you know, for years and years, working one-on-one, but they had kind of a bat mitzvah director who she helped guide them through learning their Parsha and practicing it and learning, you know, what it means to be called to the Torah. And so for them, it was a really much more of a religious experience than it had been with the quinceañeras because, you know, you put in a lot of time and effort into learning a whole other language, learning to read it, learning the melody and the chant and the the structure of the of the service and then to get to lead a service really kind of introduces yourself to the community it's like hey like i'm an adult i can like do this really this really ancient and really special ceremony and lead our community through this spiritual event so that was really beautiful to see and to also hear from the girls of how empowering and how um, like special they felt to be able to have this privilege to be called to the Torah and to read. So it was a really distinct experience of being much more immersed in the religious and spiritual side of things and getting to have, you know, really deep conversations with really young women about what spirituality means and what religion and community mean. And it is kind of very appropriate that we're meeting today in 2022, because 100 years ago, 1922 is when there was kind of the first quote-unquote official recorded bat mitzvah of Judith Kaplan, the daughter of Rabbi Kaplan, the Reconstructionist movement. 
So just how beautiful it is that we get to live in this moment, you know, me too, and all these things aside of, of female empowerment and female autonomy and just personhood within our communities, both quinceañeras and bat mitzvahs. Even a hundred years ago, this isn't something that we could look forward to or our daughters could look forward to. And now it's a really well-established tradition of welcoming our daughters and our granddaughters into our cultures and into our traditions. So overall, I learned, you know, very different things from both communities, but kind of putting them together saw a lot of similarities in how coming-of-age ceremonies really connect you back to your roots and to your culture and your community in a really beautiful way and kind of help propel you into the next steps of your life, like with this community and these values behind you. Awesome. Well, I have to say that what struck me the most about this study was how important it is to mark transitions. And my only wish is that we had more coming-of-age you know, whatever that means in today's world, more of these celebrations, because we're always changing and we're always growing. Yeah. And I love that point of like, you know, coming of age isn't a one and done. Like it's definitely a kind of extended, we're always growing, we're always learning. So let's transition to college. Elon University, rural North Carolina. Something that you said in your intro was that Elon, while you were there, was the most Latine, Latino, Latinx-centric community you had ever belong to. So I need you to tell us a little bit more about that because I'm really curious about your experience. I'm curious what Elon was like, and I'm curious to know how Elon supported you in connecting to your Latine identity. Yeah, my college experience was was very unique kind of culturally and identity-wise because my university is in pretty rural North Carolina. Uh, we had this really unique opportunity within the university of being a more diverse and a more liberally minded, social justice minded kind of collective community compared to the the outlying community. So, and yeah, I joke that, and it is true. It's the most Latina place that I've ever I've ever been. Well, it's a close second now, Elon. But we had a really, really beautiful and really robust like Latina student center. Uh, and I have to shout out Silvia Munoz, who is the kind of matriarch of our community in a lot of ways. She's so wonderful and just really takes everyone under her wing and makes them feel so welcome. And she, you know, I think 20, 25 years ago started, we call it El Centro, like the student center for Latina students um, and also non-Latina students to practice their Spanish, to learn about our communities and our culture. You know, when I got to school, I was much more immersed in my Jewish identity. I was like, kind of thinking of it as checkboxes, like, okay, check, I did the bat mitzvah, I like, know my Jewish 101, like, I feel really good about that. Like, now I kind of want to shift my focus. And again, like, I've grown a lot as a person. And, you know, identities are intersecting and multifaceted, and it's much less checkboxes now. But at the time, I was feeling like, I did this one, now I have to do the other. Um, I felt a real sense of imposter syndrome going into college, being a third generation American of like, you know, I don't have any family ties with Latin America. I didn't grow up speaking Spanish at home. All of my Spanish I learned in school. You know, I didn't have connections to this kind of cultural, religious roots of Catholicism that so many other Latinas have. And I was so afraid of connecting with the Latina community because I was like, oh, what if they think my Spanish is weird? What if I don't know this one word? What if I don't know this event? So it took me, you know, a good few months to a year to really work my courage up to to immerse myself in this community. 
And once I did, it was so wonderful and so fulfilling because it's really a, it's really such a diverse mix of students, international students and also domestic students and Mexicans, Peruvians. We had a lot of Colombians when I was there, um, you know, Puerto Ricanos, like every Argentinos. We had just such a wonderful mix of, of Latin community. I'm so happy to hear that that was your experience. And I'm hoping that your testimonial inspires other Latina students who are listening to this podcast to check out the school as well. So let's fast forward. You graduated, you moved to San Diego, and you joined Avoda, the Jewish Service Corps. There you joined Al Otro Lado, a nonprofit organization that provides humanitarian and legal aid to migrants at the U.S.-Mexico border. You and I both know that this work is not easy. It takes a lot of heart and energy. So how is it that you got into this field? What is your why? I mean, what keeps you there today? Yeah, no, it's definitely been a really, a really wonderful kind of like next step on this, like, you know, kind of lifelong identity journey that I think we're all going through because something that, you know, speaking from the Latina side of myself, I've always been really cognizant of is the privilege that my family has had being in the U.S. now. Like my my great grandparents came here as migrant farm workers. Um, my grandfather worked in a steel mill and then was like the first in his family to go to college. And then my dad went to college and then I went to college. So it's it, it's very idyllic, right? The like American dream kind of played out through the generations of my family. But so many Latines haven't haven't experienced that, um, and it's it's very rare, and I think it's it's really hard. So something that I've always been very cognizant about, and I think this is also kind of a little bit of the the Jewish philosophy coming in, is you know wanting to give back to your community and utilize the privilege you know that I've had of being college educated, of being a native English speaker to of being a US citizen to really to leverage that to support my community in other ways. So immigration was always something that I was like I kind of felt called to do. Like I was like this is the place that I think I can make an impact where I can really support folks. And so working at Alocho Lado has been just such a dream. Thank you Mackenzie. Through your experiences first with Alotro Lado and now at the International Rescue Committee, what have been your biggest takeaways and what keeps you sane? What keeps you in this work in a way that also keeps your heart, you know, at ease? The, the big thing for me that I always back to is that borders are borders are fake, right? Like these are social constructions that we have as humans have enacted to keep some kind of us versus them mentality. And I think we've seen throughout history, you know, Jewish history, human history, you know, looking at the Holocaust, looking at the Cambodian genocide, other, you know situations around the world that the us versus them mentality always, always ends poorly. Um, Not just for the group being persecuted, but it really destroys the empathy and the humanity of everybody involved. And that's really the situation that exists from my perspective right now at the, at the U S Mexico border of just arbitrary wall in what is indigenous land and what continues to be indigenous land to kind of promote xenophobic and racist and ugly us versus them kind of things, remembering that like so much of what's going on at the borders is man-made and can also be man-unmade. I really try to keep in mind just for myself, but also for everyone else that like, you know, every one person that you help, like, you know, that could be it. If you did that one thing and then you retired from border work, like that would be enough to like help one family, to give one family the peace of mind, um, to give one family the space to tell their story and to feel heard. Like 
that's enough. And to continue doing that is like just elevates you on the mensch scale to a whole other level and just continues to put more good in the world. Doing this work is a really hard toll on yourself and on your body emotionally and physically and spiritually. If you keep this philosophy in mind, like it means that you have space to breathe yourself and to still take care of yourself and to recharge with your own community or your own spiritual practice or whatever you need to do to kind of continue doing this work. Thank you, Mackenzie. And as we wrap up this conversation, I'd love to give you the opportunity to share with us any message you might have about ways in which we can better move the needle towards compassionate immigration reform. Any words of advice? Go for it. My message is dismantle the border. Obviously, it's easier said than done, but, you know, keep an open mind and and really inform yourself of what's going on and don't buy into the us versus them mentality that I think, you know, people really work hard to promote. Muchas gracias, Mackenzie. You are incredible. Estamos muy orgullosos de ti. We are so proud of you. And we're going to continue to cheer you on with everything that you do. Thank you. It's been such, such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for extending your platform and bringing me into this community. It's been such a beautiful experience and it's been so lovely to meet you. Thank you, Mackenzie. Your story is a powerful reminder that no two Latin Jewish stories are alike which is why it is so important that we continue to lift up as many Latin Jewish stories as possible. To all of our listeners out there, thank you so much for joining us for season three of the Voces podcast. This season was a joy to produce, and we are so thankful to all of you for supporting us, for listening, for sharing, and for continuing to lift up Latin Jewish stories in the community. Until next time, ciao!